As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Football Show. The Athletic Football Show. I'm Robert Mays. Joining me today is my good friend Nate Tice. Nate, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing very well. I found a sweatshirt in storage that is probably, if I had to do the math, 18 years old. And I am extremely excited. It's the same <laughs> sweatshirt that Bill Belichick used to wear on the sideline when an NFL equipment was Reebok. Yeah. And so that old gray one, they used to do a commercial for it. And it's like, just when you uh, – the hoodie, when you think the head needs a garage too. I remember the commercial that, uh, that NFL <laughs> ran for it. I have that sweatshirt and it's – I got why I love it is it has no logo on it, no team logo. So that was it's always like the, the thing. the Rob Lowe hat of sweatshirts. It's great. It's because for me who actually truly is a neutral fan now, but even with my dad who bounced you know, in that time period when I really wore the sweatshirt to three different teams, that it's nice. I don't have to change gear. I don't need to go from Jags to Bears here. Nope, just straight NFL equipment. It's comfy, so I'm doing very well. It's funny because most people now, athleisure is obviously a thing. So you got people wearing nice hoodies out to go get coffee, whatever. There are intermediate outfits that people own. I don't have any athleisure clothes. Uh, All of my sweat gear is old high school football stuff. So it's all stuff I can't wear out of the house. So I have no errand clothing. Like this is a real problem in my life where I have all this stuff that there's holes in it. It's in tatters. And I wear it around the house, even though my wife is like, that pair of sweatpants with only one pant leg, you got to throw that in the garbage. And I just refuse. So my death grip on all of that stuff that's falling apart means that I just don't buy any other yeah. material. And if I have like workout clothes, right? Like yeah, newer workout clothes. But anything that goes over that, just I'm just the middle not properly equipped. Just not know, properly I, equipped. I'm lucky is that that became in style. Because it's just like, I didn't change at all. I just wore what I wore. And it's like, they're like, no, that's what you wear now. It's like, that's what everyone's buying. It's like, great. I don't have to change anything. It's like wearing Ray-Bans. You can wear Aviator Ray-Bans and they're just going to come back in style. Just every about six, eight years, they'll come back. And it's just great. I haven't had to change my sunglasses since high school. It's a great move. <laughs> I wish I was that disciplined rather than buying new clothes for every season. It's not wondering, how it's how do I spend this much money on clothes? But yeah, my wife and I joke, we have a, as the radius grows for how far away from the house we're willing to wear PJ pants. 
Oh, yeah. you know, the, the pandemic was big for that. It started to grow and grow <laughs> and grow. And it's kind of transferred over to the normal world. And I think that comes with age. Like, as I get into my it mid-30s, does. I'm much more willing to just wear sweatpants to do things. normal human being things. All right. We have All a right. lot of fun stuff to dig into today. A lot to dig into with week 13. Some bigger picture discussions that I think we want to dig into today about some of the hierarchy stuff in the NFC, the NFC wildcard race that has gotten extremely interesting over the last seven days. But let's start with some of the biggest news of the week, and that is the Panthers moving on from Frank Reich. We talked about this on a couple different shows, but I wanted to take this and spin it forward a little bit. And look at the Panthers' situation and what happened in Carolina, and maybe try to take a couple lessons from it as to what went wrong, what we can learn from it, and then what the solution might be, not only for them, but what teams should be looking for in this next cycle of head coaches. So if you're doing a little bit of a post-mortem diagnostic forensic look at everything that went wrong in Carolina and maybe what your takeaway is, where would you start? First and foremost, I would say beware the all-star staff. Uh, I, I think that when you a coaching staff comes together, there is some of you know there is some old boy network that happens in the NFL. It's a lot of hey, I know this guy, I've worked with this guy, yeah, I'm going to work with him. But there is some benefit to that of how you know each other's steps, strengths, and weaknesses. Know what you're in charge of. Know the day to day. And I think this Panther staff that came together at first, I was like, oh yeah. This guy, oh yeah, oh yeah, head coaching candidate, Thomas Brown, that's great. Oh, McCown, sweet. Yeah, yeah, let's go. Oh, they're keeping the old line coach? Yeah, he was doing good stuff last year. So I, I think when I first looked at it, it was like, yeah, that sounds good. But then seeing it in practice, and it's something we've harped on, but when you watch it in practice, it just felt like by having so much, they did nothing. And I don't think they were – it just always just felt like they didn't have an identity that they yeah. came to. And maybe that starts at the top, but whatever it is, I just was saying, I went from like thinking like, that's a cool thing. Maybe we'd see this dream team of coaches to now where it's like, Ooh, that's actually might be a bad thing. That actually might be something that isn't uh, what you think is a beneficial thing to your coaching staff. Two things I think were the selling points of the Frank Reich hire when it happened. One was stability. You know, the idea of stability, perceived yeah, yeah. stability he had been a head coach. He had some success in Indianapolis. Even if last year went poorly, he had some skins on the wall at that position in the NFL. So I think there was some allure to that. And like you said, there's the all-star group of coaches. Talking to people this summer about why he was hired, about the plan there, he would not have been the head coach of the Panthers if he had not been able to secure that staff. The staff was one of the biggest selling points of him ultimately getting the job when he was talking to Tepper and the leadership there about potentially getting hired. Mm-hmm. So, And we thought that that was a positive. And then I think as you get into the season and you see how disjointed everything was, you realize that that's a negative. And the other side of it beyond the all-star staff is that this idea of perceived stability with somebody who had been a head coach before, when you look at not only the Panthers, but the NFC South at large, got a lot of retread coaches there. And obviously what's going on in New Orleans or Tampa is not nearly as bad as everything that transpired with the Panthers this season. But I still don't think anybody who roots for either of those teams is happy with the state and especially the coaching that's going on with Dennis Allen or Todd Bowles. So this idea of what a retread really gives you and this thought of, oh, well, you know, with Dennis Allen, it was let's just keep the band together. You know, just because Sean Payton's gone, we've done a lot of good stuff here. Let's just keep this rolling. And the same thing was true with Todd Bowles in Tampa. It's like, all right, Bruce Arians is gone, but, you know, we've got a good thing here. So let's just make sure that we keep this thing together. So this idea of 
we're going to make sure that we have the safe option to kind of keep this thing on the tracks, I think has gotten a lot of these teams in this division specifically in some hot water recently. And some of those retreads, it's like you also want the retreads to be maybe previous winners, at least at some point. It wasn't like those Todd Bowles Jets teams were really cooking uh, or or maybe even those Dennis Allen Raiders teams, you know, that uh, so it's kind of. You want somewhere it's like, oh, they had at least some sign of stability before maybe it fell apart or a team got old or anything. It's different from rehiring Andy Reid after speaking of dream team of one one bad year and then just also okay, then it's just like, okay, that's not the norm. What is the norm of what you're hiring? And I think too is that like it's a narrative more than anything is that sometimes you're like, oh, we want to keep this thing going. We want to keep it. Hey, we don't want to rock the culture that we've built. You're not hiring the same person on top. Yeah. Like, just because you promote their assistant doesn't mean you're – do you think Bruce Arians and Todd Bowles, could, they can be any more different? As And that's why it works when Arians is on top and, and Bowles is a defensive coordinator because their personalities match. Um, and I think sometimes that's what you forget is like you're like going like, oh, we don't want to rock the boat. But it's like sometimes it's like, yeah, but you, that same captain isn't on top of the ship. So I, I think that's where I think that just the narrative of the idea is better than the actual practice sometimes. Having said that, there are some retreads I like. <laughs> I think there are some retreads that work. So yeah. one of the different – what I was trying – the way that I was kind of categorizing them hiring Frank Reich, I thought the best case scenario or a positive outcome was can this look like it did in Jacksonville, where you have Doug Peterson, who he won a Super Bowl with the Eagles. It goes wrong there for a variety of reasons. He gets his second opportunity. He comes to a Jacksonville situation that was an absolute mess, and he Mm -hmm. gives them the stability that they're looking for. But I think that there are some key differences with the Doug Peterson hire in Jacksonville and what this Frank Reich hire in Carolina ended up looking like. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Again, uh, one was having actually some real high moments, including a Super Bowl. Uh, as much as we like on the athletic football show, like that, those Colts teams, it was more at first those initial couple of years, but then the last couple of years, it's kind of like that's what leaves the Frank Reich. It's like, what part do you believe in those Colts teams? Like, what decisions and what did they look like on the field are the ones that you believe of what he was as a head coach? What does that reflect? And I also think him taking that year off, Doug Peterson, I'm talking about, is beneficial. A lot of these guys who've taken time, Doug Peterson being a good example where you can kind of step back a little bit and then, again, can take this one step further. Press Taylor being with Doug and being a part of some of those staffs and being able to kind of translate some of the ideas that they were trying to incorporate Mm -hmm. into the offense, even from a language perspective, I think was super helpful in figuring out what the Jags offense looked like outside of Peterson's history. And I don't think the Ram or the Panthers ever had that. They were, there, there was no shared language. They could never get on the same page. There was no translator to get to the rest of the staff, right? Like even if Jim Bob Cooter had never really worked that much with Doug Peterson before, the fact that Press Taylor had, I think that allows you to have oh, yeah. some similarities and some shared background, which is helpful. But along with Doug Peterson, some other guys like the Dan Quinn experience in Dallas and what yeah. it's it been like for him to kind of take some time away and then revisit how he wanted to be a defensive coordinator. Even Jim Schwartz, a couple of years away, he comes back, kind of gets a broader view of what's happening in the league, what could potentially work. That time away has been helpful for people, and Frank Reich never got that. And I think that right. there's a world where some time to kind of sit and think about what went wrong, why it went wrong, benefits him in a way that it couldn't this year. What what I like, too, with Schwartz and, and Quinn, because I would bring him up in the later discussion, is but also what talking about them is that they went outside their tree. They went outside their their safe their safe area. Quinn went to the Cowboys, you know, under <laughs> under Mike McCarthy. Uh, it's not a he didn't go right back to Seattle under Pete Carroll. 
Yeah. You know, Quinn did have a background before that, but uh, not under Pete Carroll. Uh, he worked for Mangini a little bit, I believe, um, but a few pl- different places. He was but in college was, for, a, for a second. College, yeah. He's been around. Florida, okay. yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's done a lot. He actually kind of did the little one little stint in college for a year and then come back kind of thing. He got, he got that AAA going on in college before <laughs> he got the D.C. job. But I think with him and, and Schwartz, too, going to Tennessee and all what they had to do in those kinds of stints. I mean, even Schwartz going to Philly. But again, those are outside – their norm, maybe they're just their their safety net, their usual tree that they work with. And I think sometimes that's where you get new ideas and you proliferate new ideas and really go like, oh, that's how you guys look at it? Oh, that's interesting. Just like we do all the time. We'll talk exactly. about this stuff. It, it, there's yeah, different and, theories. And they do things very this. different in Tennessee than oh, they did really? stylistically from what Jim Schwartz was doing with his time with the Eagles. And that's why yeah. I was so curious about what the Browns defense would look like because in Tennessee, you're playing a decent amount of man on third down, but for the most part on early downs, they're that zone sort of meta that we had seen around the league, light boxes, not much man coverage at all. So where some of those ideas were going to come from as he built this version of the Browns defense, I always thought that was an interesting question. So now spinning it forward a little bit, if you're the Panthers, how do you solve this? Where do you look for your next head coach to kind of right the wrongs of everything that just happened with the shortest tenure that we've seen in decades? First, you do PR that, hey, our owner is not going to be evolved too much is like that's the number one thing because if you want to get the cream of the crop because you're first i mean well the raiders i guess are first but uh, i guess you're second uh hey like we don't want to spook any of these top candidates you don't want to scare them away so i think really that's first and foremost i think too if i'm the panthers is also don't buy into any narrative like Oh, because we went to an offensive coach before, we can't do offense again. Don't do that's so much BS. It's just the best candidate. So I think that's another thing. Uh, but I think a, a guy that has. I, I would, I'm super with you on this. And I yeah. think the best recent example of this the Eagles having <laughs> Doug Peterson as their head coach, firing Doug Peterson, and then immediately going to Nick Sirianni, who has ties to that world with Frank Reich. It's kind of a similar sort of hire when you look at their background and their DNA, them not being scared away from this being the best thing for our team moving forward has changed their trajectory in a post-Doug Peterson world. So I think there are a lot of examples of this working out well when teams aren't afraid of a similar looking candidate to succeed another one. I mean, Eagles went offense, 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 right? That will happen as long as this regime (laughs) is in charge. As long as Howie Roseman and and Jeffrey Laurie are the ones running the Eagles, I think they will have an offensive-minded head coach. That makes sense. Makes sense. I know they like that. They the I'm trying to just think too for like the Panthers' perspective, but I I just you have to get the best candidate. You have to not scare them away. You also have to make it work with Bryce Young because I don't think there's a way to pivot off of that. So okay, how are you making him best? The best version of Bryce Young. That's the number one answer. Because you're tied to him, and you, if you make him work, that's a huge feather in your cap. So I, I think that's another thing that you have to come in. Usually, you want an offensive guy being the one that does that. Yes. I think yeah. that being the number one priority almost makes it unequivocal Man, that like, you have to like, chase an offensive yeah, yeah. guy. So as now we're looking at the next pool of offensive candidates. <laughs> this is where it gets really Therein interesting. Therein lies the rub. <laughs> We've had this discussion a little bit a little in bit. bits and pieces, but now I think it's time to kind of shift our focus into what this pool is going to look like. It's Thanksgiving. Guys are getting fired. This is going to be a conversation topic. Ben Johnson is going to be at the top of every mm-hmm. single list, justifiably. He is the guy in this cycle. He was a hot candidate last cycle. The Panthers wanted to hire him. 
So that's going to happen again. Everybody from the Chargers to a Bears team that might fire Matt Eberflus and get the number one pick to this Panthers team, Ben Johnson is going to be a part of those discussions. After you get past Ben Johnson, things get a lot murkier when it comes to finding offensive-minded candidates and candidates in general in this cycle. Uh, Yeah. I even trying to put together a list. I was like, who would I go with, at least on the offense? Because I think number two and another guy that we've talked about, or at least 1B, is Mike McDonald from the Ravens, but that's a defensive coordinator. Mm -hmm. But still, a young mind that shows that he is innovative or shows at least he understands personnel, which I think is the first and foremost thing I'm going to look at. But then you start, you're digging. Then it's like, oh, the Texans are doing good stuff. Oh, it's another Shanahan guy. But it's, you know, Bobby Slick, who's really called plays truly one year. Yes. Uh, not less than, less than, you know, He's three never, months. This is his first year as an offensive coordinator. He wasn't yeah. even, a, he wasn't a coordinator before this year. So, and at first, if you had asked me that a couple months ago, but he's doing nice stuff, but he's a year away. But as you look at this pool and you start looking at how many openings there could potentially be, Adam Schefter came out and said eight to 10 and I'm taking the over. And I believe that uh, how the, all these things are shaking out. That's a guy that at least is going to get multiple calls and multiple interviews. And I think a team will probably take a chance on him or at least offer it to him because his makeup and his resume is one that is a safest, safe-ish bet <laughs> to make in this NFL and this current landscape of what, you know, what has been working in the NFL. Along with Ben Johnson, Brian Johnson's name has also been thrown around in these conversations. The Eagles offensive coordinator, he's in his first year as yeah, an offensive coordinator. And I think a lot of the guys who would be in this cycle of things that broke a slightly different way are still probably worth consideration. Brian Callahan is somebody that if yeah. the Bengals had continued on their trajectory and Joe Burrow hadn't gotten hurt, they would have finished with the seventh best offense right. in the league, even after their early season struggles. And when the stories is about how they've changed and innovated their innovative or innovated their offense. Yeah. That's, that's a huge thing for him. <laughs> that's why I don't think that the, offensive success of where you just were should be the driving force behind this. Like what's happening with the Bengals right now, I don't think should preclude people from wanting to talk to Brian Callahan to be the head coach of their team. Look at what Tennessee's offense was with Matt LaFleur in the year that he was right. there. It wasn't great. No. And, and Matt LaFleur ends McCarthy up becoming- had the worst offense in San Fran. We got hired by the The Packers. worst one in the league. <laughs> yes. And I don't, I think the 2016 Washington team was actually pretty good on offense. That McVeigh got hired away from. It, they, it was they, like twelfth-ish, fourteenth-ish. Yeah, they were, they were yeah. a pretty good offense. They're pretty good. That's another example of okay, it's yeah. he wasn't the obvious candidate. No, he it, wasn't. People that didn't weren't in the know, and this was seven years ago. You know, I think I was much earlier in my career than I am now. Obviously, I knew far less of the landscape and who people were talking about. I didn't know who Sean McVeigh was in terms of like his standing throughout the league. And he got that job, and obviously the rest is history. So I think that try to be a little bit more creative about the places that you look to a guy like Brian Callahan, even if that season this season hasn't gone as well as they would hoped. I think that teams would benefit from that. My my darkest of dark horses that'll never happen is Drew Petzing from the Cardinals, the offensive coordinator, because of what they're doing. And if Kyler looks good, but again, one weeks, guy in one year, one guy call, and one on year. a losing team that might yes. have a top three pick, you know, so that would be a huge like leap of faith, but. This is the next crop of these guys 
that have been, you know, we've kind of gone through the first wave of the Shanahan guys. And now it's kind of like, now this is this next group that's kind of come from this tree. So the cousins, if you will. But I think there's some, there's been a glut of young defensive guys too. And guys that if you might get interviews, guys I would look at are Mike Caldwell, defense coordinator for the Jaguars, mm-hmm. and Ryan Nielsen, defense coordinator for the Falcons. You got, you have taken and patched together these defenses and made them work and have an identity with them. And I would just at least interview them and see because how they use their personnel. I like that's the number one thing I look at is does it make sense how you use your guys? Because that shows to me you at least understand people, <laughs> at least either or you let your assistants go to work, which might be more of a CEO thing. So those are other kind of like youngish, first ish year, second ish year de- uh, play callers that I'd be kind of like maybe at least giving a phone call to. I feel like Raheem Morris's name should come up again Raheem, in this course, cycle, yeah. who's somebody yeah. that like. Uh, tons of experience on both sides of the ball. I feel like he would be somebody who can come in and set a culture. He's somebody that I think absolutely should be deserves mention. But yep. again, it's there aren't that many obvious candidates. And I think that that's worth considering as we get further and further into this, where there just aren't that many guys who are like, oh yeah, that definitely is him. Because there are so many of the best offenses in the league, the most successful offenses, those guys aren't calling plays. Frank Smith is somebody that people should want to talk to. He's the offensive coordinator for the Dolphins, but it's another one of those situations where he doesn't call the plays for that team. So what is what are you going to get if he becomes your offensive play caller? It could be fine. Look what Mike McDaniel is doing. It was the exact same conversation that people were having about McDaniel getting that job with the Dolphins. So there, and even in the moment, Mike McDaniel was a little bit of an offbeat hire. Oh, when he got hired, he was not a clear cut like this. Def this guy is definitely next. So. I think being a little bit more creative in terms of how these teams are looking for these guys is important. And yeah. the Petsing thing is interesting to me because I think a lot of the guys who've had success in head coaching roles or relative success in terms of what they've gotten from their side of the ball, Shane Steichen being a really good example, yes, Kevin Stefanski and what he's gotten from various iterations of the Browns offense. This is true for Drew Petsing as well. These guys who don't come from one specific tree Right, like Steichen is a Norv Turner guy, and then now he's with Sirianni, and they're doing all these RPOs. And mm. Stefanski was a West Coast guy. You know, he came on under True Brad Childress, Childress was his yeah. first job, <laughs> and then he works under uh, Pat Shermer. He yeah, works yeah. under John DiFilippo when they were doing all those RPOs that one year. Norv Turner, literally, and again in that yes. situation, and then he works with Gary Kubiak and has all these different backgrounds. And Drew has been with Kevin Stefanski for almost his entire run. So I think that variety of backgrounds and saying, okay, these are our pieces. How do we use them? I think that sort of varied experience helps guys in those moments. So guys with those sorts of backgrounds, period, I think are a little bit more appealing in my mind. I totally agree because that's – what I love. That's what sometimes where I see how playbooks are shared online. Everyone goes, well, that's called that. I'm like, well, in one offense, like, you know, there's like seven different ways you can call it because those guys that understand how to translate things are usually the best communicators too because they had to do it themselves and go like, all right, I call this this. Now I call it this. Okay, cool. I can translate. All right, now rookie that I have to explain it to would you guys, how'd you guys, oh, that was just called 62. Okay. So here we go. This is how I did it here. Da, 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 da. I, they can kind of teach a little better. So that's why I think what he's doing and what, what they're doing with Kyler right now, it's so nice to have him with a real offensive coach, but also just like what he did with Dobbs when he was there. Like they were, they do stuff. <laughs> like They do good sound stuff. And it's from a little bit of everywhere. So like what you're saying, I think that background makes a lot of sense to me. And sometimes with the defensive guys too, that makes sense to me. And also you have to look at college names which is just we're back to that as well (laughs) that that would be the scariest thing for me but there are some other retreads that i think are worth mentioning dan quinn 
this time oh, around, yeah, yeah. he deserves another shot potentially. And I think that, again, kind of st- taking a step back, having yep. this experience, the way that he's changed. What are those defensive minded guys? Quinn and Morris or yeah. Raheem are kind of yep. the three. I, and I so where are those guys going to look for their offensive coaches becomes the biggest question. Yeah. Right. I mean, D'Amico Ryan's bringing Bobby Slowick with him from San Francisco it's to huge. Houston. It has changed everything. This is a t- team that's top 10 in offense. If that hire doesn't get made, it's a huge deal. So who are those guys maybe hiding on some of these staffs that we're not necessarily thinking about that could emerge as the offensive coordinator candidates from some of these retry defensive coaches, I think is another thing worth considering. But Todd Monk gets a call. I, would, wouldn't you? <laughs> Former head coach. Coach at Southern Miss. It was, uh, he has experience. Bunch of different offenses. I Why He's not? somebody that I at least Everyone would loves call. Him. And I mean, yeah. that would be Todd Mockin as a head coach would be a fascinating experience. I think it's the teams that you go to now. That's some of the things, and I was just, just him in front of a microphone that many times yeah. a week. I would get a hell of a he, kick out of that. So I know he explains things so well, though, in his own way. And but he's such a like, I don't know. I he, love talking I, about football I, with Todd Mockin. He's, he's the best. He's a very, very smart guy. And he's, he's a very smart a lot guy. of success right now. And his so. entire family is like, the freaking bloodlines of coaching in Illinois, right? Like, yeah, and, and that's like right. His, yeah. Every cousin and uncle and his dad and brother, everyone's a coach. It's, it's ridiculous. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24 7 US based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Don't just ride the index. Seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. Uh, let's start digging into the games from this week. We have a rematch. Obviously, that's the game of the week of last year's NFC Championship game. Not a lot to take from last year's NFC Championship game. Typically, this would be one of those where you go Josh back Johnson and watch breakdown? it. Yeah, Josh Johnson breakdown. You have a different coordinator <laughs> on both defenses. You're on to quarterback three. The team can barely operate. So I wanted to kind of take this as an opportunity maybe to less break down what's happening on either side of the ball than to kind of take this a little bit wider and talk about how this game fits into the hierarchy of the NFC race. The Niners on the road right now are favored in this game. And I think that that's a really interesting nugget to kind of dig into this. What does that tell us in your mind about where both of these teams sit right now, despite their records? It's... I think it's reflected, and this is to DVOA from what used to be Football Outsiders, but Aaron Schatz had a, had a tweet this today, or this week, I'm sorry, that said that this 49ers team through 12 weeks is the best 49ers team that they've ever tracked through DVOA. And I think that reflects how they are, but also this Eagles team that I think no matter what is very good, but has had maybe had some bounces go their way, some squeezed out some stuff. And I think that's where the respect is coming from both of these teams. I think this 49ers team, especially post by, has looked freaking dominant on both sides of the ball. And then I think this Eagles team, 
in our mind, collective mind as well, has just had some struggles on offense. They do come through sheer talent and a great run game and the defense that can be at, you can get after the defense. And I feel yes. like that's living in everybody's mind right now. I think that's fair. And yep. right now, I think if you were stacking up the units in the NFL, offense, defense, is the Niners offense the best unit in football right now? At least in contention, but yeah, I think it is. I think it I, probably I mean, is. I think they're unguardable right now. Like when they're all healthy, they're, they're unguardable. I mean, that's how it feels. So if that's the case, I think that's what's driving this is yeah. that that offense right now is the most potent force in the NFL, no matter what the Eagles record looks like. And I think that's a huge part of what's driving this. I mean, if you look yeah. at it, their numbers are insane. Like mm-hmm. their, their DVA, DVOA numbers, the like EPA per drive, everything that you're looking at. I mean, they're in line with some of the best offenses we've seen over the last three or four years. And I think that little swoon they had in the middle of the year kind of scared people off of them a little bit, but it shouldn't have. And then defensively, I'm curious, since they came out of that bye, since they had that little rut right before that with that three-game losing streak, what is happening differently on defense for the Niners that you think kind of gives them maybe a slight edge over these other teams yeah. that we're talking about? The the obvious one is adding Chase Young, which yeah. is that they're getting funky with some of the looks they're giving, which is a lot of fun. They're putting him and Nick Bosa on the interior and then kicking out Eric Armstead and Javon Hargrave onto the outside and running game after game and twists after twists, and no one can block that. There's barely any offensive lines that are going to be able to keep up with that. So quarterbacks, be ready for that. That's going to be a lot of fun on third down. And then you can't chip help because they're on the inside. So are you going you waste your chip help on Eric Armstead? Like, yeah, so pick your poison. That's So passing downs. I also think they're getting into five down looks on base downs for true five defense alignment across the board, which is cool. And then the other thing is a personnel switch. They put Lenore back into the slot. They benched Isaiah Oliver. Yeah, and that's been huge because he's uh, Lenore is a good player overall. He has he's good on the inside and the outside. I thought his future would be on the inside actually, so it's good to see him. And I think that's that's kind of having a booster effect on the rest of their DB room. Yeah, and it really does feel like that defense kind of clicking back into place with the way that their offense is playing. You could easily make an argument that this is the scariest team in the NFL again. And even against an Eagles team that has one loss, it's not surprising to me that they're favored in this. So that's obviously you can can run on them just a little bit. But the thing is, again, it's a game script thing. If they're up two scores, are you going to keep running the ball? Like, you know, it's so that they play you out of game scripts, which is just that's what the best teams do. So those two teams, I think, exist at the top of the NFC. They're absolutely in that top tier, like we've assumed they would be. Going into the season, we thought that would be a three team collection. And it still feels like that. Dallas post by, I think absolutely deserves to be in the conversation mm-hmm. with both of these teams. If you look at what they've done, they're, they're averaging 1.41 EPA per drive over the last, since their buy, since their week seven buy. That wow. is double any other team in the NFL. Double. Oh, yeah. Understandable. They have played terrible teams. Yes. It, you have to mention this when you're talking about where the Cowboys yes. sit right now. They played the Giants. They played the Panthers. They played Washington. So you've got a team that fired its head coach and a team that fired its defensive coordinator immediately after you played them. But I also don't want to dismiss the way the Cowboys have looked over the last month as solely a product of the schedule that they've played. Because coming out of that bye, there have been material changes to what the Cowboys offense looks like that make me think this isn't just a mirage based on the schedule. Also, when you play a weaker schedule, you want to see dominance. Yes. They are dominating these teams. That's what 
that's 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 good. <laughs> that's what it's like. Yeah, it's not just a one by three. They squeaked one out barely a one point last minute field goal. It's like no, they're like dominating the entire second half of these games. They're um, what's his face? Cooper Rush has taken more knees than most starters have in the NFL <laughs> because he's in there at the end taking the knee, uh, which Paul Chris would, would just be so livid about. He says only the starter should be able to take a knee. If you're a backup, you're getting reps. You're getting in there. So just <laughs> that was always his thing. Uh, but how their offenses looked like, Mike McCarthy, I was not familiar with your game. And it's like uh, credit, credit to what they're doing right now. Post by CD Lamb is, we use this term, but he is truly a queen on the chessboard for them. He goes where the weakness of the defense is and they pick at it the entire game. And it's a kind of a, kind of a shout out or a kind of a credit to the rest of their offense, their personnel, because they can do that. If CD bumps inside, Cooks can win on the outside. Ferguson can win and do his thing. If CD has to go on the outside, Cooks can win on the inside. And then you also have Ferguson. If you want, no player gets targeted more if it gets man coverage than CD Lamb. He, uh, I think he has 40 targets against man coverage this year. Uh, he's top three in every advanced metric that we look at success rate per route run, yards per route run, EPA versus target, all this against man coverage or EPA per target, all against man coverage. So they have an answer because of CD and everybody kind of builds off of that. It's really cool to see that true alpha receiver game plan and everybody come off of that. But uh, if you run one, sorry, I'm, I'm going to go, but it's really fun. Go. If they go, if you go man coverage, like if you go one robber or one double, which if you watch the Chiefs, if you go one double and do it to Kelsey, who can win against man? We're not Watson, uh, I guess. Maybe Rasheed Rice. We're not sure what route he's running. You watch this team. All right, if you want to run one double on CD Lamb or cover two and Cloud if he's on the outside, all right, we can move him to the slot against cover two. Or we have Jake Ferguson or Brandon Cooks working against somebody on the inside. Dak and he has been seam balls like nobody's business. Oh, I know. He's the king. Oh, my God. I've- Ferguson is like – like has that perfect level of dumb. Like he goes up for every single one. Like he he's taken he gets hit every single week. It's like, oh, I feel bad, but it's like it's awesome. But it's like, oh if you want to do it. But if, if you double him, you have a linebacker on Ferguson or Pollard. Or you have another corner, your backup corner on your second corner on Cooks. It's like pick your poison, but it's it's great. It's it's what they're doing makes a lot of sense. And it's Dak is playing at a caliber that we've never seen. He he's truly playing like an MVP level right now. If I had to pick an MVP of the NFL right now, November 30th, I would pick Dak. He's adding as much to his team as a quarterback as any player in the NFL right now. And it's the things outside of structure and maybe outside of our kind of preconceived notions of who Dak is. You know, his right now, he leads the NFL in EPA per drop back outside of the pocket on plays outside of the pocket. That's not how we have thought about Dak Prescott over the last few years. What he's adding as a scrambler has been hugely important. And then some of the changes within the offense, I think, have really allowed him to shine. Coming into the season, I was terrified about what a Mike McCarthy, Brian Schottenheimer-led Dallas Cowboys offense would feel like. I thought it would be static. I thought it would be limited. I thought it would feel tight. And that's exactly what it was over the first five, six weeks of the year leading up into that Niners game. You're watching the way that they're playing, and it just feels so condensed and so constricted. Through their first set, through the first seven weeks of the season, Dak was averaging 6.9 air yards per attempt. It was 27th in the NFL. Since their bye, it's 9.7. It's bombs third away. in the league. They're going bombs away. And that it's not the only thing. It, this isn't no, a no, no. deep throws equals good, short no, throws no, equals no. bad. They run everything. It's, it's, that's, what, that's what works. <laughs> but that is just one example of how yeah. the offense has become more dynamic. There's yeah. so much more motion. They're straight stealing shit from what the Dolphins have been doing. So it's an 
situation where I think changes in the offense have reframed how we're looking at Dak Prescott, but they also should reframe the way that we're looking at Mike McCarthy. Like what he's been willing to do and some of the changes that they've incorporated have been so hugely important. And I think both of those guys, whatever you thought of them coming into the year and whatever you thought of them over the first five weeks, I think it's really important to kind of take a step back and rethink what those preconceived notions look like because both of them, to their credit, have shattered some of those with the way that they've been playing and coaching. The 49ers game was almost – it was very – it was almost like disappointing for me as a Dak Prescott fan because I was just kind of like, oh, all right, well, this is what you are. You can't push it. You're not will- – if when you do push it, you get punished more often than you succeed. It was scary. It was, it was. scary if you're a guy who like has been go- sitting there pointing at the mirror, that the point at the mirror being like, no, Dak is good. Dak is an elite quarterback. Right. That's a tough moment it for was. people who, like you and I, have tried to say that over the last few years. And this last month has been some vindication. That being said, until he does it, against the Niners or until he does it against one of these good teams, none of this shit is going to matter. matter. None of it does not matter at all, but it's again, good that we're seeing this. It's the Rams kind of the sequence between that Rams game a couple of weeks ago into the Eagles game and how they answered against both teams was like, Oh, you guys are like, they're, they're doing classic stuff, but it's just like, like you said, a little bit of motion. Use CD as the number one on every route concept, unless it's some designer red zone play. And, that's it. <laughs> and yeah. six, and then have Dak handle the ball 65% of the time. Have him make the decision because he makes the right decision over and over. And I think the personnel got a little boost. It's it's everything. It's everything working in concert together. And the offensive line's got freaking two all pro caliber guards. Like, you know, it's like it, it's it's all coming together. And this is kind of like even for me, who was like optimistic slightly, I was like, I had like some caveats like, oh, 10A offense. You know, I wasn't fully getting in there. This is the epitome of what I could maybe see they could get, but I just didn't think it was actually realistic. So it's really Me cool neither. to see them. I, do I, it for I had a so month. many doubts about what this could be, and this yeah. version of it seemed very far off. And the fact that they've settled into it, I think, is hugely important. Yep. Obviously, a lot can change by tomorrow when they play the Seahawks, <laughs> but I, I expect them to play well on offense again. Kind of putting a bow on all of this, the Cowboys play the Eagles next week. Okay. Yeah. Cowboys play the Eagles next week. Eagles play the Niners today. We have all these games that I think are really going to give us a much clearer picture of how all of this stacks up over the next couple of weeks. And this Eagles Niners game that we're going to get on Sunday is one of the first steps toward that. I mean, the Eagles absolutely could have lost to the Bills last week. Like yeah. this is the stretch of their schedule where they're going to get tested. And that makes this, this game specifically very important for how we understand the top of the NFC. It is. It's it's almost not fair to the Eagles because they keep winning and we just keep going. I don't know, but it's a hey, this is how it is though. This is how it is. Do it again. Keep doing it against the best teams. It's kind of hard to put any doubt on them. <laughs> they deserve so much credit for the so ways much. they have found paths to win. So yeah. much, and Jalen Hurts deserves so much credit for how he's played at the end of these games. Resiliency. But I think it's still hard to discredit or discount how clean. The Niners offense has looked. There isn't yeah. this level of consternation about, well, I don't know about Brian Johnson. I don't know about the play calling and I don't know about their approach in some of these games. That level of doubt, I don't think has ever crept in with the Niners, even if they've had a couple down games. There was no right. like the structure and the foundation of this is right. in question. The way that there has been a little bit with the way that the Eagles have played this year. No, I agree. I, I think the Niners stuff was Purdy got punished a couple times when he wasn't getting punished. And that was kind of it. And then the, the defense found the answers right away games. to the question. It was yeah. two games. They That's played it. against the two Browns quarters, really. in the rain 
and had a lot of missed opportunities. And then they played against that wonky Vikings team and he threw a couple picks. Other than that, like they lost the Bengals game while just being wildly successful on offense for the entire game. One of the best rates in the whole uh, efficiency rates this entire year. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it, that's exactly it. I do. I want to say my one thing. What I'd say about the Eagles and their offense: just run the ball, just run the ball, yeah. just just pound the freaking rock. That's the way to get after this Niners defense. And I know you want to get ants. I know you want to use AJ Brown. I know you want to use Devontae Smith, but it's your best answer. So I, I want to see if they, if Brian Johnson really commits to it. I'll almost like feel even better. They like he doesn't listen to the siren song of throwing the ball. So pound it. I think coming into the season and then even at times early in the season over the first half of the year, a lot of people would have thrown the Lions into this category as well in this tier as well. The last few games have given me some pause about that. We're going to revisit some of the reasons for that a little bit later in the show when we talk about the Lions defense. So for now, let's just put a pin in the Lions discussion. That's the top of the NFC. Mm-hmm. The next tier of teams in the NFC is almost more intriguing than what's going on among the elite teams because of how much has changed over the last week or so. We talked about this a little bit on Sunday night, but more stuff has happened since to kind of add a layer to it. The Vikings and Seahawks both losing last week has made things very, very interesting in the race for the NFC wildcard spots. The Seahawks, the Vikings, the Packers, and the Rams are all now bunched up in this very close race, I'm going to say the NFC, say the NFC South team is for like just the division winner. Like I think their best chance is to win the best division. Chance. Yes. So th- th- we're not going to include them here. But I had a few questions I wanted to ask about this group of wildcard teams specifically. Among these four teams, who would it mean the most to, in your opinion, to get into the wildcard? I think it's the Seahawks. I agree. Because... I think they need a proof of concept that this works. Uh, like kind of like, hey, we this, this is truly something we can continue to build upon as far as this current identity before maybe changes have to happen. So I think for the Seahawks right now. I 100% agree with that. And that's why the last few games have been so disheartening. If yeah. you look at what the Seahawks did in the offseason, they paid Geno. You know, they didn't pay him a ton, but they that, that contract that you give out to a 30-something quarterback is a, we want to try to at least be competitive Right now, they are ninth in cash spending this offseason. There's an indication of urgency there. They go sign Draymond Jones to that contract. They traded a second round pick for Leonard Williams at the deadline. There is real urgency among that team that there just isn't with any of these three other teams. So if the Vikings, the Rams, or the Packers miss the playoffs, it's like, okay, you know, we can get into some of the specifics about each of them, but they can live. I think they'd still at least be happy. They'd still consider elements of this season a win. I don't think there are any consolation prizes for the Seahawks if they don't end up getting in based on some of the decisions they've made over the last nine months. And especially uh, in this conversation we're talking about that in this wide open NFC, like this yeah. is a year that you should be able to make it. Even that was the justification for some of the things Correct. that they did. Correct. It was to push it for this year because other teams are figuring out what the hell they are. I would say the other one that would mean the most to is maybe a bit uh, Sean McVay's ego, like a little bit of a him and Stafford kind of going like, yeah, like. Fuck you guys, I'm good. Yeah, like, remember us? Like, I, yeah, remember us. I, so I, I do want to say, kind of give them a kind of the consolation prize, I guess, to this to this answer. Where do we think that things have continued to go wrong for the Seahawks? Like, what are you oh, most concerned about right now? A couple things, uh, one on really on each side of the ball, uh, or two things really. Uh, the offensive line 
still has some issues, especially in the interior, especially just the right side, which hopefully Abe Lucas coming back will solidify some things. Um, I do think that is where one guy's messing up and that blows up the whole play or just one little mistake. The other thing on the offense is this has now been consistent where I, I feel more confident speaking on is the receiver's kind of mental errors. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of lack of detail from the receiver room right now. And it's it's someone that's a season two character on the athletic football <laughs> show, but it's the receiver coach from the Jaguars in 2021. <laughs> Sanjay Lal is now the receiver coach for the Seahawks. And I'm just a it just seems one guy's off every single play. And if it were just one guy continuous, you know, continuing to make mistakes, like at first it was JSN. And I was so like, what okay. kind of mistakes are you seeing? Like okay. when you say that, what what are you seeing on film? Two guys at the same route depth when they, one of them should be over mm-hmm. the top of the other two guys running the same route on a concept and not on one that should have the same route. And why you can tell that is every play should have just proper spacing. And over time you kind of see that. And when something's off, when you see two guys near each other, you start going, all right, who messed up? And so you see like in the first series against the 49ers last Thursday, they had three botches. It was an RPO. DK Metcalf doesn't run a route. Next play, uh, two guys get hemmed up on press and then they run right into each other. Gino throws outside to DK anyways, but he wouldn't have had a second option if he came off of it. Third down comes, DK Metcalf runs a dig, and JSN's running an over. One of them should be over the top of the other, if I had to guess, JSN. So his route is too shallow, and DK's route is too deep, because he was supposed to adjust based on the coverage. And I just noticed, because it's kind of a common concept. But watching that, that's third down. That's the first series. Those are the plays that you for sure practice this week. That's yeah. not late in the game that you're running this one-off play. So that speaks to me. That's like, this is an issue. Games against the Ravens. Um, Tyler Lockett doesn't run a route after you get, they make a check on third down. That's the one Gino throws a pick on. There's multiple plays in that game. When Drew Locke was in there against the Rams, JSN doesn't look for a ball. He was throwing a, a dagger concept right up the middle. So it's just week after week, and it's different guys messing up, which, which means to me it probably speaks to what's going on in that room or what's being taught. Yeah, that that seems like it's been a consistent issue. And there are elements where I thought it would get better yeah. with the offense that just have You look at some of the underlying metrics. I mean, they were up near the top of the league in early down success rate for the first half of the season. And I thought, okay, you know, there are reasons for that. You know, there are, uh, there's always more volatility on third down than there is on early downs just because of the way the game works. But structurally, it made sense for the Seahawks, right? On early downs, you can line up in heavy personnel. You can use play action. On third down, you're just dropping back to pass. And mm-hmm. with their offensive line, that was a huge concern. And I thought, all right, maybe as they get a little bit healthier along the offensive line right. and those numbers start to normalize a little bit, they'll be better on third down. They can keep up something close to what they're doing on early downs, and this will emerge as a top 12-ish sort of offense. They've gotten worse I know. On third down. Healthier. It's gotten worse, which I just did not anticipate happening. Nope. I'll admit it. I was flat wrong about this. I just figured it would get better, and it hasn't. Same. So weeks one through seven, they were 21st in EPA per play on third down. Weeks yeah. eight through 12, it's 31st. Only the yeah. Jets have been worse. Over the first seven weeks, they had a 41% third down success rate. It's 29% oh, you can't over the last way. four weeks. You can't. You no, just can't no live that way. So there's I no just place. assumed, all right, just by the bounces of the ball, the third yeah. down efficiency will get a little bit better because of the talent that they have, the ball placement stuff we talk about with Gino, him playing at a reasonably high level, mm-hmm. and it's gone the other way, and their offense on early downs has gotten slightly worse. It's still top 10, but it's yeah. slightly worse. So I think what we've learned is when you put them in traditional dropback situations, it's starting to crumble. 
when they can't use play action, that this offense just isn't the same. And I just didn't anticipate it heading in this direction rather than getting marginally better. Even if I'm not like the biggest fan of DK, because I, I think he plays smaller than what his, his body type he is. He definitely does. Yeah, he does. He's a 5'9", 180-pound receiver built like Goliath. And, but I, it's kind of – they have Jason and Lockett and Noah Fant. And they have these tight ends. Like they have guys that can beat man coverage and they have guys that can win one on one. You watch them against the 49ers in the red zone. I, I didn't tweet this clip. I should have. They got hemmed up. And I think even uh, Kirk Herbstreit brought it up. Gino ended up taking a sack. They, no one could get open. It's like, why do you spend a first round pick and pay these other guys if they can't win against man? One guy's got to win against man. Come on. All of you guys get sh- like just clammed. Oh, that's tough. And I, that's, we're just talking offense. The defense is going to I was going to ask me, you, what's the defensive oh, thing that you were worried defense about? Defense is going to be frustrated right now. Well, Bobby Wagner is just getting exposed. Uh, and that's, it's tough. It's, I know what Bobby Wagner is. He's a legend, but he's just, he's tough right now. Uh, the 49, he's going to have a pick six tonight. This is what always happens to me. Troy Reader. Oh, make fun of Troy Reader. And he gets a fumble recovery for a touchdown. This is what always happens. But that I would say they got, they have a lot of DBs. This is what we thought would be a strength of this defense. Flexibility. Lean into it. Lean into dime personnel. They've only run 26 snaps of dime on first and second down this, this season. And why I'm bringing that up is because once with Jamal Adams back, they need Jamal Adams in the box. That's what the, how they like to use him. Also makes them very predictable. But that's bumped Devin Witherspoon outside. Witherspoon is a dynamo from the slot. He is a game wrecker from the slot. He is good from the outside. Difference between dynamo game wrecker and good. <laughs> that, that's, a, that's a tier difference. I would rather get them both on the field if you are so gung-ho on making Jamal Adams work then get them both on the field. This is why you have them. So figure out how to get them both in their best spots. This is why you have all these DBs. So I think that is what, I I wouldn't say it's bad, bad, but that would solve a lot of their issues and get Wagner off the field. I know you have to figure out the green dot and all that stuff, but getting your best players out there would be beneficial because I'm not trying to do the disco stew meme with this, but uh, uh, out of dime for teams that have used it, you know, 20 or more times on first and second down, I, I, that's my qualification here. They're the third best defense in terms of yards per play, and they're the very best defense in terms of success rate out of dime. Lean into it. And just be I know it's a tough conversation that you probably have to have, but I think that would be their best answer to it. And last thing, sorry, I had a lot of thoughts on this this week. I watched this this time a whole week because I gotta watch it last Thursday. Is if you are gonna say we're gonna stick with Bobby Wagner on the field and we're gonna do this three safety stuff and Witherspoon has to be on the outside, watch what the Cardinals defense is doing with Buda Baker. Do the three safety umbrella look, put freaking Jamal Adams in the middle like they put Buda Baker, let him play monster back and just let him read the play out. That like you gotta find different answers because what they're doing right now is gashable. Like it's so predictable. If I know where Jamal Adams is, I can defi- I can figure out what your play is gonna be. So oh, it, sorry. <laughs> it's a really it's it's a really frustrating season for them because the elements we thought they could build on defensively from last yes. year, Tariq Woolen, at the guys that's like really stood out in last year's version, has backslid the wrong way. And so that that's what's so discouraging here is that this is supposed to be a Pete Carroll-led team. We thought that there would be some tangible growth from this unit, and it hasn't happened even with some of the pretty aggressive moves that they made. Again, Very you go pay Draymond Jones, you trade for Leonard Williams, and the returns just have not been there in the way that you might have thought or hoped if you were a Seahawks fan coming into the year. Right. Having said that, still have a chance. <laughs> it's just that – it's just I feel they have to fix some things, both sides of the ball. They, they really do, and they got to do it quick. Okay, next question here among these NFC wildcard teams. Who do you want to see get in among these four teams? Like, I honestly, like, it's so funny because I'm glad I wrote this down because it's, who do I want to see? I want to see the Packers. I could have made an answer 
on all four of these, and I, I do have notes just in case, but I end up going with the Packers. Why? Because I love watching Jordan Love. I really like watching this offense right now. I, I think the run game's really getting there. The offensive line's getting cohesive. The defense is a little more frisky and has some talent, so they have players I like. I just think as a team, they're a young team ascending. They're becoming more cohesive, and I like it. And I, they have a quarterback and a play caller that I enjoy, which is always going to be usually first and foremost for me as a football enjoyer. So the Packers, I, I like this team. I really like what they're doing. Obviously, they're winning games, but on top of it, just it seems sustainable to me. I wrote about Jordan Love this week, but we'll talk about him in a sec. But it's, yeah, I, I, it's the Packers for me. What about the way that Jordan Love has played feels sustainable to you? What are the real tangible yeah. things that you can take from this run that we've seen over the last four weeks? His all season, his eyes have been pretty good as far as like how I feel like he should read the play out. What I'm seeing now is he loves those trick shots, man. Holy crap. But he's using those trick shots in a way that actually works mm-hmm. as opposed to just adding. I, I told, I said it's like a, a wrestler using an extra flip because it does more damage. Like that is, that's Jordan Love a little bit, but it's all on time. And this is something he is the epitome of this quarterback that I think of when talking about rhythm as a quarterback. And Kurt Warner had a tweet about this recently, and I wish I could find it, but he was talking about operating out of the shotgun and saying how it shouldn't be as structured footwork wise. Like everybody shouldn't be homogenous. Like everybody shouldn't look the same out of the gun. This is how I interpreted it because I kind of agreed with it and I kind of took it in my own brain. But <laughs> how you watch Love and watch him throw with rhythm, he's made it work for him. Lamar Jackson's the uh, the top example of this because I wouldn't teach Lamar's footwork, but it works. It's on mm-hmm. time. So who cares how it works? Um, but Jordan right now and how he drops and how he moves in the pocket, he's operating on time. That That to me is the number one thing to sustainability. The number two thing is that he can make every throw. And three is he's super aggressive. And But aggressive where it makes sense. Again, the first play to Christian Watson made sense because of how the safety drove on the ball. He throws the high route, the digs, when again, it makes sense because somebody's driving down on an underneath throw on a high low. He takes his one-on-ones to the outside to give his guy a shot. Sometimes it doesn't work. The end of the Steelers game where it gets reflect, uh, deflected and ends up a pick. But he's doing all the things that's like, that's a quarterback you win because of and not yeah. because he's just a, a, just a passenger. That's a true winner at the quarterback position. He's... How he's operating, and sorry, I'll bring up one play. It's just the, it's a stick over concept. I highlighted in my article. So stick is it's a two man version. So it's two out routes, but then it's an over. And how the Packers do it? It's split footwork, which I've never taught, but it's pretty easy to figure out. It's quick game footwork that can get become a longer footwork depending on how you read it. That's tough on a quarterback. That's really tough. They ask a lot of the quarterback position within that holy, offense and their pure the footwork drop back is game. insane. They have to do every footwork that I've ever th- – they do the Dan Fouts footwork where you just go straight backwards in the gun. I haven't seen that since Mike Martz and Kurt Warner. So – but it, oh my God, Kurt Warner twice. Uh, but it's that footwork and how he used it and how he gets the ball off. It's like, geez, that's advanced stuff and he's doing it. And you got to remember, this guy's five months younger than Kenny Pickett. Like, and I, this We're is on start you, 10, start 11. You Even build if on he's this. been in the building, this is still his first season as a starter, the first yes. two-thirds of his first season as a yes. starter. The comparison that I made, and it's funny because I think my answer might be the Rams, but we can continue this Packers conversation. Yeah. A lot of what he's doing in terms of the how it elevates your offense, some of the arm angle stuff that we're talking about, reminds me of Matthew Stafford. Yeah, that, oh, that, that, That's what it reminds me of, where no, it absolutely. actually is beneficial. And we talk about this all the time, and I discussed this with Chase earlier in the week. All right. How are you going to be that win because of quarterback? How yeah. are you going to elevate your offense outside of what the play gives you? 
And what he's been able to do with some of the arm angle stuff and just the pure arm talent stuff has elevated that offense outside of simply what the play gives him. And it's also allowed him to really operate in some of these muddy pockets as they've dealt sure. with a lot of moving parts on the offensive line. Yeah. When yeah. Even against the Lions, like I think I thought their offensive line won that matchup against Detroit overall, some of its game planning, but I think that they won that game up front on both sides of the ball. But even in moments where it was not that clear cut, he's still getting throws off because of his ability to operate in those confined circumstances. And Absolutely. I think that's been really important. Yeah, that's what that those that it's like, again making sustainability with the trick shots. They man, the one that I I keep I again I highlight this art my article was he goes backwards in the left in the pocket because um, they ran like a little game the the Lions did. And he works left and he's still kind of like mid movement and he throws sidearm around the pressure. And at first it kind of looks like why did you do that? Why don't you just resettle and throw it? But actually, it's because he was trying to stay on time with the play. And the fact that he can do that and do it in a, kind of a wonky Gumby throw, but he's doing it within structure. So that's what – it's kind of like – it's great. <laughs> that's what you want. He's throw, And then he throws Jaden Reed open on the play because he's tightly covered over the middle. So he's making his guys better. He's operating as they're designed. And LaFleur is on fire right now with designs. And their offensive staff is right now. Their run game's great. The floor definitely called his brother and said, Hey, I'm stealing that. What you guys are doing in the run game with duo. And I'm, I'm going to use it because they're using it. It's one for one, same exact play. Um, they rotate their left tackle like they're a high school team trying to get some talented sophomores, <laughs> some playing time. They, it still feels like they're just searching for answers in the ways that yeah. they're cycling those guys in and out of the lineup. And I don't blame yeah. them because of how uneven it's felt at times this year. I mean, I every single mock, I, I want to see them drafting a tackle in every single mock draft yeah, right now. Every, every single one. Because who knows what's going to happen with Bakhtiari moving forward. And if you drop, I think Zach Tom has been really solid for them. If yep. you drop another tackle into this mix, it's like, okay, now, now we have like a real young offense that we can grow with. And watching that offense kind of grow in concert with each other yep. here over the last month or so has been incredibly cool. That yep. being said, I still think my answer is the Rams. Because I'm everything not- that we're talking about with Jordan Love in how exciting he is and the ways that he can affect games. Don't you want to see Matthew Stafford just like playing well, fuck you ball in the playoffs? It, it's so because we have another superlative, correct? That yes. we're going to answer? Yes. Okay. Okay. So I that's yes. My answers are yes because of this, because I'm going to answer that other one with the Rams for that right. question. So, so that so, is totally fair. So, okay. So, so, I, 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 so no, give me your Rams notes and then I'll well, just give I, mine. I think, as I the think next that answer. my answer is the Rams just because no, I like it. The, the best version of the Rams offense and what they've been able to do this year and every argument you just made about the Packers with LeFleur yeah. and Jordan Love, that's taken up a notch because you get McVay, these receivers you get the, like, the in the Rams version offense. of it. Yeah, like- yes. And I, and <laughs> yeah. I think that obviously the Packers are truly the younger version of it. So yeah. we'll see where they can take it in the future. But I don't need to worry about that with the Rams. Like I know what Matthew Stafford is capable mm-hmm. of in some of those moments. And he was banged up. You know, the Rams have hit, they hit somewhat of a slide, but all that stuff we were saying about Matthew Stafford in the first six weeks of the season, yeah. that didn't go away. No, no, no. Like he's he still capable of playing at that level. Oh, yeah. So we'll see what happens with Cooper Cup and his health, et cetera. But I still think that Rams offense clicking on all cylinders is the team I would want to watch on wildcard weekend playing against, I don't know, who would it be? The three so, seed, the Lions. Like, I would love to see the, oh, oh man, Rams, Lions. Oh, Rams, Lions. Rams, Goff, Lions Stafford? would be phenomenal. Oh, that, that all right, would... now it's, that's yeah, door yeah. slammed. It's, ab- my answer is absolutely the Rams. I like, they were my, they would have been my second answer. I could have made an answer for all four of these. I even had, like I said, I had notes for all of them. Like, it was like Josh Dobbs and the Flores defense, you know, with the Vikings. Like, I, and okay, Kevin so O'Connell. let's get to the last question here then. Yeah, yeah. 
Who's the Who most do dangerous? Who do you think is the most dangerous team? The Rams, to me. Okay. Because, All right. because okay. of what you're saying is that it's kind of funny how you're kind of you're building that is exactly in my brain. I was like, I love the the Packers because I think of what they can be. If I want to see what they can be, I just watch the Rams. <laughs> and it's that's that's the version. It's yes, the Stafford love thing is so true. He's taking the title belt. It's like Lamar, Geno, Stafford, and 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 Love are from the same archetype. As as quarterback wise, like they have those those yeah. trick yeah the trick shot arms, super yep. aggressive, yep. love to throw digs, all that stuff. That's but, one of my favorite comparisons that I've always come back to is that like yeah. the Lamar the Stafford yep. similarities are like my yep. favorites. It's like Mike Vick with Stafford equals Lamar. That's it's like, oh my god, it's so true. Even the even the, like the release, it still feels like that. Like the way the ball comes out of his hand. That's I don't. That, that's very good. I like that a lot. It's, actually, it's, it's that's what it kind of is. Uh, but the Rams to me, it's a big contingent on Cooper Cup, like you said. Yeah. But the offense has an aggressive offense and an awesome run game that I won't shut up about because of what they're doing with the duo stuff, which is the most efficient run in, in the NFL right now. I, my eye test was correct, but uh, this offense is eleven the DVOA. 11th in total EPA, 10th in combined success rate and explosive play rate. But if you just look at the plays that Stafford's been on the field, they're fourth in EPA per play yeah. and fourth in success rate plus explosive play rate. This is a legit offense. And I, they have answers. McVay is on a heat, on a heater this year. That staff commend them both sides of the ball. Plus the defense has Aaron Donald and they're frisky and they do funky stuff. They're sound and they do stuff that makes it annoying for every offense. So I think they're dangerous. I think they can hang with a lot of teams in the weirdest way because they're funky on defense with some talent and the offense can go supernova on anybody. Let's be clear about this. Two of these teams are likely going to get in. So we don't have to oh, yeah. pick between the Rams and the Packers. It could be both. Talking about the most dangerous. I don't know my answer because oh, okay. I, so looking at the Vikings, part of me thinks it's the Vikings. Even with the questions they now have about who's going to even play quarterback for them. But the Flores Vikings defense element of this in a one game sample, right? Some weird shit could happen. And right. that I'm just not going to ignore that. Like what they've been able to do, the fact that it seems like the Falcons didn't play Desmond Ritter against the Vikings for a reason. And then you look at what the Bears offense looked like on Monday night, where it's like, well, can't do anything. As soon as they just, got outside just, the opening just, strip, just can't it was do dead. anything. <laughs> And the fact that they can do this to teams, I yeah. think, is really important to consider when we're having this conversation. So they're in the discussion for me. The Packers are in this discussion for me because of everything we talked about with the offense. Mm-hmm. And that game against the Lions, the most important takeaway for me in that game may not have even been the way that Jordan Love played. It's the fact that their front in any given game can take over the game. The amount of talent right. that they have – very rarely has it manifested the, great the way that we want it to, but that, that's exactly rush. right. The yes. pass rush being the equalizer where you have Rashawn Gary, who at times can play like one of the three or four most impactful pass rushers yep. in the league. He has that ceiling to him, but also they have other contributors, right? Like Preston Smith can play. Devontae Wyatt has taken a big step forward this year in his oh, impact yes. that he's had on the defense. Carl Brooks Right? Like these He's random great. guys that they have as contributors up there, yeah. they can do that to the Lions offensive line. What can they do against lesser offensive lines if they manage to get into the playoffs? So for yeah. all of the uh, hemming and hawing that we've done about the Packers defense over the last couple of years, I do think that that front is dangerous. And then we get to the Rams, who's the team I want to see get in because of the ceiling that their offense can get to. Yeah. So the funniest thing is, is that... Are the Seahawks even in this conversation anymore? Do we think the Seahawks are as dangerous as any of these other teams? They're the ones that I have to make the hardest argument for because they have to change. 
Right. If you asked me a month ago, like, yeah, it'd be Seahawks easy. I thought I had Seahawks as a top 10 team. It's 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 because they haven't solved their answers while other teams have or are starting to or just getting better because they're young, like the like the Packers, and they stopped dropping so many balls. But I love your Flores thing because Flores is the great threat. In, in wrestling, they kind of have like the jobber to the stars, which is kind of like the guy that is he's good. Don't get me wrong. This was Dolph Ziggler uh, for WWE for a while. He's all the like mid carters and below he'll beat. This is Razor Ramon or Scott Hall, if you remember him. <laughs> I, all the I guys, certainly do. Yes. All the mid-level guys are below. He'll beat. But any like, you know, you know, at the time, I'm thinking WCW Hulk. He didn't really go against Hulk. But Sting, yeah. you know, uh, Goldberg, those guys, he'll lose to those guys. That's what Flores is for quarterbacks. He's kind of like – he's the kingmaker. It's kind of like if you're bad or indecisive, you're dead. Yeah. You are – he's crushing you. But if you're good, you can get after him. Like if you're Sting, you know, if you're Justin Herbert – you can get after him. Like, Isn't it, it weird? Is it weird that that is kind of how I looked at it with Justin Fields this week? Where watching Justin Fields against the Vikings, I was like, but, all right, maybe not. But that's the NFL. If you if 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 knuckleball pitchers give you issues, then if you can't hit knuckleballers, like then what? I mean, that's you're going to face them every year. There's going to yeah. be a couple of those guys every year. Uh, and Brian also, Flores as the quarterback sniff test is actually a very nice thing that we've kind of stumbled into yes. during this season. This is also all about Scott expectations, Hall. right? <laughs> where <laughs> it, I, I gave Robert the wolf pack signs. <laughs> I, I, th- I think by, by the way, like if we're talking about the wrestling history that I'm a part of, the wolf pack stretch is 100% something that's that I was interested the in. The coolest group ever for like, Oh yeah. At that time, the face I remember, NWO. Do you remember how hard it was to find one of those NWO wolf pack t-shirts in like 2000, yes. Yes. Whatever, 1999, whatever it was, year yeah, it was. 98, 99, 1999. Yeah. It was impossible to find one. The only ones you could find were like the slightly different ones with writing on the back. Yeah. So that was that was a big. You never Christmas want the writing on the back. Secret. That's no, the worst part of wrestling shirts—they always put shit on the back. Then you know that it's not the real thing, right? Because those yeah. guys aren't have writing on the back of their shirts. So I remember that pursuit very well. But it's so funny how <laughs> things change and how fast things change. The Seahawks, because they're underwhelming and they're not reaching expectations, they feel so much less exciting right now than some of these teams that are heading in a different direction right. and their trajectory looks a little bit different. But the <laughs> Packers, the last thing about these teams I want to say, the Packers are at the bottom of the league and the Rams are at the bottom of the league in cash spending. Like yeah. this, they are as far away Cross as you could teams. be from yeah. how, who would this mean the most to just because this is not what this year was supposed to be. Nope. So this is house money for them in a way it's not for Seattle. And I think that's important to kind of take into consideration as we think about how this all shakes out. Uh, and what's cool is the Packers and Rams offenses are two of my favorites to watch. And it's kind of cool when they have success. And it's not just me saying this. And I swear the Falcons are good, guys. Uh, but it's not. Well, that's what we did like, about Seahawks like three weeks ago. And oh, then they've gotten worse. It's so depressing. It's so depressing. That, the Ravens really just like stunted them. Like just really like – I think it really just – they were like – they're seeing they're Sam Darnold. They're seeing ghosts right now. One more NFC team we wanted to dig into here is the big NFC heavy show that we're doing. We wanted to go under the hood on the Detroit Lions defense, just kind of figure out what the hell is going on with these guys right now. Since week five, the Lions are 31st in defensive success rate. And now we're coming off a game where they got shredded by Jordan Love and the Packers. So what the hell is going on right now with the Lions? It's We complain about static offenses. Right now, this is a static defense. 
And I think the issues that cropped up for him late last year, which was hard for me to get over the top on them this offseason, where I was like, really? Okay. All right. If you guys and is they're having issues out of it again, which is I number one to me is when they are running man coverage, is they can't defend the run when they run man coverage. They offenses when they know they're in man are checking into runs to get after them. And it's because usually it's their linebackers are playing very poorly right now as a group. Anzalone's okay, but uh, as a group, they're not playing very well. And I think a lot of times is they're a little bit aggressive or one guy gets miscommunication. And so you saw him this last game against the Packers. They hit him with a zone run. Two guys, they're, both A-gaps were open. And on a defense, you have to be gap sound. There has to be a body in every gap. So that speaks to me. It's like, oh, man, they, they're not knowing how to fit runs when they get certain looks. So I, I think that's a huge thing. I also think when they are in man coverage, this guy is a really good player, but it's kind of the same stuff. That I talk about with Witherspoon with the Seahawks, it's like, you know, you do want to see some more of the shell coverage, the, the quarter stuff to allow Brian Branch to make some big plays and stuff. So I think the big thing to me, though, is when you watch these linebackers and that when you watch the teams absolutely shredding them when they get into base personnel, which, when they have three linebackers on the field. So the stat that I have a couple stats I want to throw out here is the offenses uh, have thrown the ball 87 times against this Lions defense when they've been a base. 87 dropbacks. They're at a 62% success rate. Anything over like 47 is very is good. Elite. The, over- the Niners right now, I think, lead the league in offensive sex rate at 48%. Yeah, 62. And it's a decent sample size as well. And that's just dropbacks. Like the run's like not as that much better. But the, what makes it worse is it's explosive plays as well. 20 of the 76 throws they face, because I use dropbacks, this is just actual throws, have resulted in explosive play. That is like allowing a three-point shooter, uh, three-point shooters hitting 55% on you over and over. Like that, that is what that kind of equivalent is and for football. So it's just not, again, it's not sustainable. It makes it worrisome because teams are going to find that and they are picking at it already. And until you find answers, it's not going to go away. Coming into the season, I thought that maybe they were one or two steps, one or two pieces away from getting over the top defensively, even if it was going to be better than it was last year. It almost had to be. And they went out and they tried to fix the secondary and they they did did. some things. And it's like, okay, I understand that they're trying to reach competency on that side with some of the moves that they've made. And then they come out over the first month of the season, first real six weeks of the season. It's like, oh, man, they look pretty good on defense. But what they were doing defensively was a lot different than what they did even at the end of last mm-hmm. year. Even if they've played less man coverage and been a little bit less aggressive during the second half of last season, it was significantly different this year. You know, they're playing a lot of quarters. They look kind of like the defensive meta we've seen with a lot of other teams around the league. And I think teams weren't necessarily ready for that style of defense from the Lions. And so it looked good early in the season when it was a curveball to maybe what teams might have expected. But now that we've had half a season for teams to work through it, like you said, it feels static. And you can really get after this team in zone coverage. Against the Packers, okay, in zone. And I think some people were like, oh, they played more man against the Packers. Maybe that was the reason. I thought that their best reps against the pass yes. against Green Bay were in man coverage. It's, that's the problem. If they're in man, great against pass, bad against the run. Zone, <laughs> bad against, good against pass, not good against the run. So in zone coverage <laughs> against Green Bay, Jordan Love finishes 12 of 15 for 169 yards. They gave up sure. 11.3 yards per play. Since week six, they are dead last in passing success rate while they're in zone coverage dead last in the NFL. So these zone looks that were the changeup for them and this yep. quarters kind of base defense they were playing that were, was the changeup for them has now come to a place where it feels static. 
And I'm with you on the linebackers. Like when you get their base defense on the field, it's a huge problem. And that's extended to teams using play action against them in those situations. They are 30th in success rate against play action, and they've faced the third most play action dropbacks around the in the NFL. Teams know what they want to do to get after this team right now. The Packers did such a good job of we're lining up in heavy personnel. Yep. We're going to get four hands on Aiden Hutchinson every single play, and we are going to gash you. And that's exactly what it has oh, felt it like against this team recently. Think about all the shots the Bears had off play action when they played against them a couple weeks ago. So this does feel real. And yeah. I don't know what the solution is to it in the short term. They could like this Saint they're playing the Saints this week and like that could be a it's an interesting test actually because it's like if you are struggling against the Saints offense, you know, for four quarters I should say then it's like okay, we're, we got maybe a, some real 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 alarm bells because that that's the thing is like if you're just okay, you're giving up like success rate and all right and you're just moving the ball but like you're at least getting explosives meaning sacks and TFLs and you know turnovers of course it's like okay that's fine they're getting gashed down the field so it's like but they're not creating enough explosives themselves to counteract it and when the offense Goff has had some funky turnovers, but it's like the offense is the offense. We kind of, we, they're, I feel, especially when Jonah Jackson's healthy, I feel very good about where they're at. But it's just that this defense is what we thought could be a thorn in their side. Is It is. It's being a huge thorn in their side because now they have to keep up. They can't withstand all those turnovers if they have a couple. Yeah, their, their pressure rates, if you look at it, are solid, but their sack numbers are really, really low. I mean, they're 26th in the NFL in sacks. But even with those pressure rates, I still, when I watch them play, obviously they're banged up in the secondary. They've lost some of the pieces they thought they were going to be able to rely on. But that is that is what it is. Up front, this is the group they came into the season with yes. outside of James Houston. Yeah. James Houston is the only piece that maybe they thought they would be able to rely on him. He has been banged up. Other than that, this was the plan this along the, the defensive front. This is what they wanted to be. These are the guys they were going to rely on. And when we were talking about the Lions heading into the season, one of the things that gave me pause is that I was looking at the defensive personnel and just thought, eh, could they use one more? I think they could use one more. Use one more. And yes. they didn't do it. So yeah. now you're relying on John Kaminsky and Josh Pascal and Charles Harris to be those secondary pass rushers. And even with the step forward that Ali McNeil has taken, and it's right. been a solid step. Yes. He has yes. shown real flashes. Yes. He's been fun to watch this year. They still don't have the requisite juice and pop among yeah. their front to really affect these games without blitzing. And yep. I think against the Packers, you could really feel that. And too. so it almost is like the inverse of the Mike McCarthy conversation, where you have all these concerns coming into the year. They flipped over the it. Fir- <laughs> over the first month, the concerns are validated, uh, yeah. and then they come out of the bye, and it's like, oh, shit, I guess we were wrong. With the yeah. Lions, you have all these concerns coming into the season. They play well over the first five, six weeks. And then as the season goes on, whatever issues you had coming into the year actually start to come to light. And that's yeah. what it feels like with the Lions right now. All of this being said, this is okay. Yes. If this isn't the year, if they never rise hey. to the level of these other three teams, if this continues, I understand that it would be devastating when you, if you're a Lions fan, you had these kind of designs on them maybe being the Super Bowl team this year. I understand that. If it doesn't happen, it's okay. Like this wasn't necessarily supposed to be the year. They didn't show some of that urgency in trying to add those one, two, three pieces to get them over the top. They still kind of operated on their timeline where it's like, we're going to move at our own pace and they deserve a lot of credit for that. But if this ultimately does fall short and some of these issues with the defense do them in, in the end, which I think it's very possible that they might, 
it's not like this was Super Bowl or bust for this team. And no. I think that's important to remember. They're they're trying what we're talking about both sides of our mouth saying like they're trying to develop and grow these guys, but also it's like there's going to be some blemishes when you do that because then it's like oh shoot we do need that yeah. actually we thought he could do that and then but then you get Aline McNeil who looks very good and it's like that's a guy I'm telling you guys I thought he was like okay yeah. like like okay fine starter they might have you know not a different not a huge needle mover he's a needle mover now but they need more <laughs> and they need development or they need investment from that but again if we talked about the three other teams, the 49ers, Cowboys, and the Eagles being the elite of the NFC. Being the best of the rest is still a great leap forward for this Lions team. Yes. <laughs> so that, it 100% that's, again, is. Yeah. And but I think still a lot of that, offense too. They're, still, they're still closer to the team I thought they would be coming into the season, right? Yes. Where the offense is elite and they the defense who we they has were. holes. And, and, that, and that's kind of what it feels like. It, like it feels like there was going to be those three teams at the top and then the Lions were going to exist in their own little tier and then everything else was going to happen yeah. below them. And it really does feel like that's where we have settled with, yeah, with this really season in the NFC specifically. And the Packers are ascending as a young team. It's funny. It's like, you know, this, <laughs> some of these are actually working out. <laughs> Right, one more week 13 we wanted to hit very quickly because it's a huge game in the AFC wildcard race, which yes. maybe we'll do this similar sort of exercise next week for the AFC. One Perfect. thing to watch for on either side of the ball in Broncos, Texans this week. Really? It's going to be both sides of the ball. Uh, look for fullbacks uh, in the run game. And <laughs> I think both teams have issues fitting uh, fitting the run, although the, the Texans are now getting Denzel Perryman and Jimmy Ward back, it looks like. So what has been a huge thorn in their side, which is their spine – Maybe gets a little little bit of life uh, as far, but both these teams struggle defending play action. Both of these teams struggle with pulling guards and moving pieces in the run game. So I would say look for a lot of shot plays on both sides because I think it's the strength of their offenses. Look for some run game. Look for a lot of fullback action, I would say. But it's kind of nice. One thing to watch on both sides of the ball, fullbacks. <laughs> fullbacks and play action. That's what you're going to be looking for. Be curious how the Texans – Offensive line holds up now without Titus Howard. They're dealing with some yeah. injuries there. That's something to watch. The Broncos' pass rush has got a lot more teeth since Baron Browning came back. They've affected games more Your guy. with their current iteration. It's listen, he's got he's something got juice, to dude. him, man. He's he has got, got, got something to him. So that how that that matchup up front for Houston and kind of yep. what the state of their offensive line going forward is going to look like as they try yep. to fight for one of these spots, I think is worth looking at. And the other side of this is the Broncos have subsisted on turnovers. Yes. Over the last four or five weeks, the yes. Texans have done a very, very good job of taking care of the ball outside of one CJ Stroud game against the Cardinals. So if you can't get those one, two, even three turnovers that you have over the last month, what does your defense look like against a good offense? This is the game where I think that that mirror is going to be right up against it's the fun test. It's a fun test. I look for a Bet on Marvin Mims over longest reception if that's available for anybody. That, that would be that'd be my one my one prop tout for 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 this weekend. All right, it's time for win my fourth screen. Each week I solicit arguments for which game belongs on my fourth TV in the early slate. Uh, typically, the sadder the better. This one from Scott Anderson, who you know, we've gotten to know Scott over the last couple of years. He's yeah. A Jets fan. Okay. He's great. Scott says. And Everton. Oh, he, said, he says, Dear Mays and Tice, first of all, I've resorted to using your last names because the names Robert and Nate give me anxiety from watching the Jets offense this season. When I walk into work in the cold, dead New Hampshire air, I often am greeted with things like, wow, I've never seen a Hail Mary get returned for a touchdown. Or why is Robert Sala in a Coldgate commercial on Black Friday? 
These are questions and comments that I have no rebuttal to. I can't even enjoy the Patriots being shit because they will end up tanking correctly and landing Drake May, who ruined fewer generations of Jets fans' lives. The fans are starting to cannibalize themselves on formerly known as Twitter, and my soul feels like it's being sucked out like a slow-motion Shang Tsung fatality. I'm just <laughs> numb to whatever is next for this franchise that is so below poverty that it makes the buckets from Willy Wonka look like Richie Rich. I mean, how could it get worse? Our number two overall pick is on the Mount Rushmore of sports bus. The QB we traded for lasted four plays. Our disgustingly rich owner raised ticket prices and billed everyone for 2024 in October. Shit, man, even our heads. Did he pets- really? <laughs> Shit, man, even our pets' heads are falling off. This game <laughs> against the Falcons has been one I've been dreading all season because I know this is the game that Arthur Smith stops fucking around and lets Bijan and Kyle Pitts loose. <laughs> Meanwhile, I have to watch Tim Boyle throw to Irv Charles because Joe Douglas decided to use cap space on Dalvin Cook, Billy Turnstile, and restructuring contracts for no reason. I just can't have a tankathon as my homepage for much longer because my therapist turns into Jonathan Crane and I'm hallucinating ghosts and Zach Wilson accuracy problems. (laughs) At this point, I'm just asking for competency and not having an offense comparable to the Josh Rosen Cardinals. Even though deep down in my heart, I know that Hackett will return as OC in 2024, and we will waste another year of Quinnen, Quincy, Garrett, Brees, Sauce, and company. I mean, how fucking hard would it be to have signed a competent backup quarterback? This franchise has records that were set for Ryan Fitzpatrick, for fuck's sake. Anyway, thanks for taking the time to read this. I'm sure this team will figure out a way to not get one of the top O-line or wide receivers in this draft, because that's the world I live in. Beautiful. Great. Thank you, Scott. Tune Tune in to Jets Falcons. Oh, that's funny. Even Arthur Smith got a shout out. The the uh I in my mock draft, I made sure to give the Jets an offensive lineman. Because I, I just appreciate it. I said this today and I, I I gamed it up just a little bit, but it's just what I want to see. Like it's just like, come on, like just do this for me. Like just do it. this is just what my heart wants to see. But I also think there's some irony and poetry to this in that the pick that they get to keep because Rogers didn't hit his threshold for the first rounder is spent on offensive lineman. I think there there's some poetry there. Seems I, I right. Really do. It, it seems does, like that's right? exactly how it should go. Yeah. Time for Tice's touts before we get out of here. Quick Wins League update. It's over. Oh. It's over. I went 5-0 I, last week, didn't I? I'm five back. Yeah. I'm now five back. Last week was and a good one for me. With the, with the, <laughs> with the Jake Browning experience, there's there's just no shot. Like, there's just absolutely no shot. So I've Sorry. resigned myself to my fate. Uh, it's going to happen during Super Bowl week. We're not going to give it away because I don't want it to lose some of the juice, but uh, that bet is not looking so good for me right now. So I've just, I've just stopped paying attention to it. Last week I was like, oh man, you know, okay. How did I do? If this team wins and this team loses, you know what? It's not even worth it. I'm just not even going to preoccupy myself with it anymore. So congratulations to you on, on your win. Conceding. Congratulations. <laughs> Conceding the five foot putt. I, 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 thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, no, this is exactly what's going to happen. Dackel. Hurt his ankle. Like this is this is what this is it. I love this reverse jinx you're doing on it. Purdy might get hurt, but then Darnold goes in. So who knows? Yeah, who cares? But, I mean, if if the, yeah. one of the Niners quarterbacks get hurt, it doesn't really matter. Joe Burrow right. getting hurt look makes the Browns go or the Bengals go from like a top five team to one of the worst teams in the league. So it's great stuff. Uh, all right, my touts uh, again. Try to. I actually kind of felt pretty good about a couple of these, but I'm going Colt. No, I don't. What am I talking about? That just jinxed the crap out of myself. All right. Colts <laughs> minus one at the Titans. Uh, Levis is interesting. He is truly big plays only. 
big guns and big plays. That's all Will Levis does. He is just firing those away. So he's interesting, but I do think the Colts. Remember when we deigned to think that Will Levis might not be a future All Pro quarterback after that first game, and everyone just roasted us. The yeah, the uh, it, it's how dare us? Time. How dare us? How dare us? One small sample size on four plays. The uh, they are pretty though. Hey, those those highlights are high, uh, but but uh, yeah, it's just it's not sustainable. But anyways, Colts defense, I'm liking what they're doing. I think uh, they found this Gardner Minshew RPO all the time offense, which is kind of going to work for them. <laughs> Interesting against this Titans, Titans defense. It's kind of a frisky matchup. I'm kind of interested in watching it. Uh, Cardinals plus five and a half at the Steelers. Classic Steelers play down to their competition level bet. That's what I'm betting on here. The anti Tomlin. Uh, also, again, I think the Cardinals are frisky. Their defense. I like what they do, even if they're not good, but at least they do it against the Steelers. So it's not like really, it's like, oh man, Stafford's going to, Kyron Williams are going to punish him. So, but yeah, Cardinals plus, and a half, plus five and a half. I think that game would be also interesting. I would love the Cardinals just to steal one here. I would love it. It, it would breathe yeah. so much easier if they had two wins and there was just a little <laughs> bit of breathing picks. room for the pick. That's all I care about now. It's just, <laughs> I was like, why? It's just, that's like, all why? I care about was, right now. It's like moral I would, victories, I guess. I would love for the Cardinals to get one, and I need the Patriots <gasps> to just bounce their uh, way into one more oh, win no, over the Oh, no. Patriots the are like I know. Bill Belichick, the I tank know. commander. Oh, my I goodness. I know. Albert Breer, by the, the way, The zappy said, experience. Zap. Albert Breer said that the two coaches that are locks for next year are Ben Johnson and Bill Belichick. So take with, take with that what you will. Uh, last when one. I, I buried Bill Belichick on the Sunday show, so I think I've made my notes felt. <laughs> made my feelings known about that. <laughs> I listen. I listened back to it, and I was like, "Oh man, <laughs> you went in." I actually had someone text me about it. I goes, "What? What if, does Robert not like Belichick?" <laughs> Hey, hey, that's how it's looked, though. Uh, All right. So, all right. Last one. Uh, This one. God, I kind of wish the offense was kind of competent for one side, but I'm going with the Rams minus three and a half, hoping hosting the Browns. I actually think I want to watch this Rams defense actually take it to one that they actually have a matchup advantage against, Uh, but also want to watch this Rams offense versus that Browns defense. I think it's going to be a really fun matchup. It's a cool matchup. It's a really good matchup. We've talked so much about the Browns defense, which is why we did not do that as one of the matchups of the week. Sorry. Sorry. I think we might get Joe Flacco in that game. Seems like so. we might might get some Flacco against some the Rams, Flacco. which, man, I can't, cannot not? wait for that. Yeah, at this point with the Browns quarterback situation, why the hell not? I just want as many quarterbacks as possible. We've already getting the record, so it's just let's run it up. Let's run up the score. That's all we got, guys. As always, sincerely appreciate everyone listening. If you have not checked out our Cowboys Seahawks recap on YouTube, you can go watch that right now. If you're listening to this on Friday morning, if you're listening to it on Thursday night, please come join us. After the Thursday night game wraps up, come watch that live as we break down all things Dallas, Seattle. For now, that is all we got. Sincerely appreciate you guys listening. We will see you Sunday. Talk to you later. This was the Athletic Football Show.